This week, a f friend and I, who also does not speak Chinese, were at McDonald's, and he had his Bible open, and an older Chinese woman, a sister, came by with great excitement and said a lot of things in a foreign tongue. Um, I recognized a couple like Jesus and things like that, and, and she kept trying new things that we could understand, and she finally just said, Alleluia, Alleluia, and we said, Alleluia. So, well, welcome on this Sunday after Easter. Uh, today we would like to look at uh, responding to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week we celebrated it. We introduce some pathways for those maybe of you who struggle with, was it a historical fact, did it really happen, of how you could pursue that. But, but for now, so here we are, and, and now we are looking at, okay, so Jesus really did rise, which is the case we're all in. He really did. So what? what what's next? What can we do? What can we look at? And... I want to look at two individuals in this regard. One is Thomas and the other is Peter. So, when we look at Thomas, we're going to ask, we're going to look at the issue of dealing with doubt. And when we look at Peter, we're going to look at the issue of dealing with denial. Let me pray. Well, Father, we're going to open your word in which we have witnesses who report on what happened many hundreds of years ago. And Father, in the midst of everyone here, the variety of reasons, the varieties of issues on their mind and on their heart, we would desire for your spirit to work today in whatever way he would like, so that Jesus is glorified and honored, and individuals here could come and join in praising him. May you do that work your word taught accurately. This we pray. Amen. Well, Doubting Thomas, probably most of us are familiar with that phrase, Doubting Thomas. He's the guy who doubted. He's the guy when everybody said, we just saw Jesus, he said, no, unless, unless I see and touch him, I will not believe. And we hold that against Doubting Thomas. In fact, in the old days, that used to be a fairly common phrase that people could say, don't be a Doubting Thomas, and everybody in American culture used to know that. Probably not the case in our culture now and probably a lot of yours. We also are dealing with denial. That would be Peter. Three times he denied Jesus. Yeah, Peter, Peter, Peter. You shouldn't do that. Peter, he was wrong in doing that. So, we could say in this talk how to not be a doubting Thomas or a denying Peter. That could be a talk, because we don't want to be either of those. As I was uh, walking here this morning with all of my notes, kind of scary, I, it, all of a sudden it hit me, it's like, well, all right, let's just make this simple and not complicated. And uh, so here it is, I, I will say this and then we'll finish. But then that would ruin the children's program, so I'm, I will do a filler. Well, here it is. 
dealing with doubt in your life? Stop doubting and believe. That's what Jesus told Thomas. Stop it. Okay, okay. All right. Got that one down. Peter, kind of tired of denying Jesus. Peter, huh, you think you love me enough? Uh, I don't think so. How much do you love me, Peter? You need to love me more, don't you? Yes, I do, I do, I do. Okay, so go out and love me. There. There it is. Ah, okay. Now. Now it's time for testimonials. I basically have tried to live decades of my Christian life on that basis. Craig, stop doubting. Believe. You should, you know. I know, I know. Craig, do you really love Jesus? Well, I, I should love him more. I know. So I've already known that. I already know Jesus' invitation, and it doesn't work on me. So maybe there's some of you who aren't quite obedient either. So I want to look at both of these men, both of these scenarios this morning. Before we get specific, though, I want to say a couple of things about them. First of all, Thomas is the guy in John chapter 11 when Jesus said he was going down to Judea and everyone thought he's going to die. Thomas says, hey, everybody, I think we should go and die with Jesus. So the guy was sincere, okay? He was sincere. He was not a fair-weather follower. He had followed Jesus through the grind of three years of ministry, sleeping here and there and seeing marvelous things. He had sensed that Jesus' life was in trouble. And when it came time to make this trip, he said, you know what, there's a good chance he's going to die. Let's go die with him. So that was Thomas. And Peter, who denied Jesus was the guy who, when surrounded by all the soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane, pulled out his sword and started swinging it. Kind of a gutsy thing to do. So we need to look at both of these men in their fullness. Peter was not a fear-driven person. Peter was not running away from everything. He was not a coward. His problem was not an issue of cowardice. Thomas was not a coward. Thomas was not resistant to obeying God. When Jesus said, I'm going, he said, good, let's go with him. And so lest you just throw either one of these men into a category of which you feel safe, let's look a little more at their lives. Both of these accounts are at the end of the book of John, and we're going to be reading them. First in John chapter 20, let's look at the incidents with Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. 
And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. One of the first things I want to say is whatever issue of doubt that you're struggling with, my guess is you have previous issues of doubting which have contributed to this one. Let me give you an example. I am concerned that Thomas doubted the need to know Scripture. I'm concerned that Thomas doubted the need to know Scripture. I'm concerned that Thomas doubted the need to understand Jesus and to believe Jesus. And it was out of both of those areas of doubt that this one incident came when he said, I cannot believe that Jesus has risen unless I physically see him and touch him. You see, Jesus had mentioned a number of times that he would die and rise again. Thomas heard that. Why didn't that connect? It connected with none of the disciples, by the way, and none of his followers. Jesus had said, I will die. I will die. I will rise again. The people will stand up against me and crucify me. And yet, when it happened, all of them treated that as though that were a surprising event for which there would be no basis to process that. And therein you have the accounts of, of how so many of them came to believe that Jesus rose again. And Mary went early and saw the stone rolled away, and she knew what happened. Someone took the body because she knew Jesus couldn't rise again. So she went back and said, someone took the body away. And then when Mary came back and saw Jesus thinking he was the gardener, all she wanted was, where's the body, where's the body? She didn't believe. And when the women came back and told the disciples and other men that were there that that. Jesus was gone, then they could not believe that either. And when Paul or when Peter and John ran to the tomb, it says that Peter went in and looked in and saw the cloths and, and left wondering. But John believed. Finally, John believed. But John did not yet understand the scripture that said it had to happen. And I want to make a distinction here. And the distinction has to be with interpreting and figuring out events. The horizontal events that we see. Did this happen? Did this not happen? Wow, is this true? Is this not true? That, that's what discerning people we need to do. Certainly in our day and age, we need to be discerning. Is this claim true? I don't think I believe this claim right here. I don't think it's right. Is this communication from this company or government accurate? I don't think so. We question our sources. And I think the question of Thomas here has to do with a questioning of sources. Essentially what Thomas said, when all the disciples said we saw Jesus, he said, I'm sorry, your word, your testimony, your experience is not enough for me. I have to have it myself. 
I was raised in a Christian family, and as a believer, my wife and I desired to raise our children. I taught in a Christian school for a number of years, high school seniors. I, I've, seen, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people from Christian families transition. And, and what was true in my life is true in all of their lives of those of us that were raised in a Christian setting. I grew up and I believed there was a God and everything that was said about this God because my parents told me and they were reasonable. And my church told me and they were reasonable. And my youth group told me and they were reasonable. But sooner or later, there came that time where it was like, hey, my parents make mistakes. They could be wrong. Basically, my parents' God was no longer good enough for me. He had to become my God. And that involved questions, my questions, real, real Craig questions. Questions my mom and dad didn't get. Thankfully, they didn't put me down. They just said, I don't know what to tell you. Probably a wise answer. I had questions. Thomas had questions. What's the purpose of your questions? What's the purpose of a demand as Thomas made? Unless this happens, I won't believe. I think one purpose is, I don't want to believe what you want me to believe is uncomfortable, and I am going to keep putting up roadblocks because I really don't want to go there. So I'm going to keep asking you questions and say, uh-huh, why, 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 because it's a roadblock. I encourage those of you who have doubts to just ask that question of yourself. Do you have doubts on the road to wanting to discover the truth, or do you have doubts while you sit there content with you and your views being the only truth? Thomas was not content to sit there. Thomas didn't say, I'm going home, and he's got to come to my address. Thomas continued in his pursuit of truth. But let me tell you something else about Thomas. What why did he need extra proof more than a testimony of his friends? What was Thomas's question? I believe it was deeper than just, did the man, our leader, our rabbi, the Messiah, the king of the Jews, did he die and resurrect again? I think he had a deeper question. We can tell that from his response. And I think his question was, Messiahs don't die before they accomplish their purpose of saving everyone. This Jesus who I thought was Messiah died. If he's alive, if he's alive, if he truly rose again, then he has to be more than a great teacher and a great example. He has to be more than just the kind of Messiah we expected, a human king that would take care of all of the external problems. If he rose again, he has to be more than that. He has to be God. That was his question. And before... I can go there, he was saying, before I can make that pronouncement with all of the implications to it, I have to know. And again, in the course of maybe your own search for faith, not 
putting your trust in Jesus yet, or when we look at our children, what's the hanging question? Do you believe that Jesus loves you and he'll help you when you're scared and he'll help you face your giants and he'll give you a nice life and do you believe that Jesus is your friend and your buddy and a good helper? And, and you know what? Jesus addresses all of those areas, but there's a bottom line question for every one of us. Is he God or is he not? And I believe we see what Thomas's question was because when Jesus came to him as we read, his response was, my Lord and my God, to look at a man that you lived with for three years and highly respected, and he was a wonderful prophet and a miracle worker and certainly a servant of God, but to say, you are God, is an experience none of us would have to look at a physical person and say, you're God. Do you understand why Thomas not only had doubts, but maybe why they were legitimate? He understood what the implications were if this man really rose again. He isn't just the great moral teacher and our hope for a better country and all of these things. He must be God. And he might be the first disciple to make that announcement and pronouncement. So, in the midst of your doubts, I started by saying, I think Thomas doubted the need to know the scriptures. Where did I get that? We get that from the response of the angels and the response of Jesus, the post-resurrection response. And the angels told the ladies, um, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said. Remember that? And then they, oh, Yes. And then that evening, that Sunday evening on the road to Emmaus, there were two of his followers walking and struggling with what happened, and we thought he was the Messiah, and he's not, and he's dead, but maybe people said maybe he rose again. And he came alongside of them. They did not recognize, and he said he talked with them. And, and when they were done saying what the problem was, he said, oh, foolish, and how slow to believe all the prophets have said. And then he opened the word, and from Moses through the prophets, he showed them how the Messiah had to die. If they would have known that, they would have known he had to die, rather than been thrown for this utter loop, like how how could the Messiah die? They didn't know the scriptures, and Jesus' statement to those Two on the road to Emmaus was how foolish and slow of heart to not understand what the scriptures say. Take your doubts, ask your questions. Where are you going for answers? Or maybe the first question are you even looking? And in multiple places, when you look at post resurrection comments, the comment is made. This is what Scripture says. John ends this particular section by saying, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. But these are written. These are written. These testimonial accounts, eyewitness accounts, are written for us. Because you know what God promises. God promises us his word. 
which includes eyewitness accounts. God does not promise us visions and special meetings with, with Jesus. He doesn't promise us that. He can do that if he wants, and he does that. But this is what he promises us. And so for those of us who really want to know, for those of us who have these doubts, then look in the Scripture. And these events were recorded and in the book of Acts and in the book of 1 Corinthians, those first believers who were talking of the gospel, they testified continually, I saw him alive. 500 people saw him alive. The 12 of us, the 11 of us saw him alive. And then they wrote that down for you and me. And Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who see and believe. Like you, Thomas, you're blessed. And also blessed are those who cannot see like us and yet still believe because we search the scripture. And these are written that you might believe and have life. And what does that mean to have life? Eternal life? To go to heaven? I think it includes that. But I think as we look at the next, our next friend Peter, we're going to look at a more fuller understanding of what does it mean to have life. So in John chapter 21, uh, Jesus is risen. He's appeared to Peter alone sometime the first day. Sunday evening, the first Sunday evening he appeared. The second Sunday evening he appeared. So the disciples have now all seen him. And now they go up to Galilee where they're supposed to wait for Jesus. And, uh, and so they go fishing out there. And Jesus is on the shore and calls them in. And uh, they were surprised. There was Jesus. So in verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 15, they, uh, they sat around and Jesus fed them. And it says, after they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of, son of John, do you, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus came to him and asked the same question three times. Peter answered sincerely the first time, sincerely the second, the third one a little more problematic. What are you going at? I think he got it. I think the other disciples got it. Peter, who had on his record three denials of Jesus that needed to be addressed. Peter, who had on his record three denials of Jesus as one of the lead disciples and followers of Jesus, that was now on his record. He could be forgiven of his sins, the sin that he did, and go to heaven. And that's one element of these are written that you might have eternal life, that you might have life. But there's another element of life. It starts before heaven, like right now. 
And what kind of life could Peter have had if his denial was not addressed? I think two possibilities, two sides of a coin, would be that Peter would have become a very fervent, passionate leader. He would have wanted no one else to fail like he failed. He would have been probably somewhat intolerant and pushy. He would have said, you can't do that. Don't do that. He, he would have tried a hundred different ways to get people to not do things and stop do things the only way he would know. He could have been that. Overcompensating. Somehow trying to make up for what he did. Or he could have gone to either end or maybe a mixture of both of despair. Of disp- I just, I blew it. I just blew it. Okay, I'll finish life on earth, but it's over. I had my chance. I blew it. And if your decisions and your sins, whether from 30 years ago or 30 minutes ago, are not addressed and brought before Jesus, allowing him to bring it before you, then I think somewhere on that continuum you're going to struggle with the rest of your life. I think as parents sometimes if we don't resolve issues, we don't want our children to make the same problems we have and we become strict and we become adamant and we become black and white and cut and dry and we're intense. That is not a joyful way to live. Or if we have issues that have not been addressed, whether it's the shame of what we did or the shame of what was done with us, if that has not been addressed by Jesus, then the life we have is going to be a life of limping and struggle, which is why it's important to see what did Jesus do here. Jesus came and asked him three times if he loved him. First of all, just like we did with Thomas, this particular denial probably was not the first one. This is that tip of the iceberg. This is the result probably of previous denials. I think we can see a couple of times Jesus denied, or Peter denied Jesus. Mark chapter 8, we read in, in other, a couple other of the Gospels, we read where Jesus was telling the disciples, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. And it says, Peter took him inside and said, no, not so, Lord, you're not going to die. That would be denying what Jesus said, denying Jesus as one who will die. And Peter did that. No, that's not the way it works. Messiahs don't die. And my friends don't die. And I will not let you die. And Jesus' response, kind of harsh. I've tried this on my wife. It doesn't work. She's, <laughs> he said, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of earth, not the things of God. Well, it was noble. What's a friend supposed to do but say, no, I won't let them kill you? And why did he pick up the sword? Because that's what friends do. Well, friends who refuse to believe what friends tell them might do something like that. And the other denial that, that Peter had was, was when he, he, he told his disciples, he said, listen, all of you are going to run away and leave me. I'm telling you this now. This is what's going to happen. And Peter said, oh, no. They might... They might, not this guy. They might, not me. And Jesus says, Peter, 
Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat, but I have prayed for you that when your faith recovers, you will go and strengthen your brothers. Here's two denials that Peter had before the big one. Both of them were denying the very word of God, disagreeing with it saying, you're wrong, God, you don't work this way. Jesus, it doesn't work this way. It works my way. Peter went and denied Jesus three times. We're aware of that. What's available for Peter now? Well, What's available for Peter on human terms, I think, would be somewhat like I mentioned. He can try harder, try to make up for it, overcompensate as best he can, trust in himself, trying harder and not letting this happen again. Or he can maybe withdraw a little in despair and thinking, you know what, I've blown this one. I have no respect in the eyes of everybody. Everybody knows this is what I did. I'm just, I'm just going to fall back. I, I can't be involved in, in leadership or anything. Jesus didn't want that for him. And so Jesus came and went to the heart of it. And the heart of the issue was not his behavior and what he did. The heart of the issue was not, hello, Peter, you ran off and now I died, because that was supposed to happen. The heart of the issue to Jesus was relationship. And deep, intimate relationships use the word love. Peter, do you love me more than these? Well, I don't know about you, but kind of like I said, if someone says, Craig, stop doubting right now, I don't know what to do to stop doubting right now. And if someone says, love Jesus more right now, I want to, but I don't know what to do. What does that look like? Okay, I'll try harder. But that's not relationship. That's performance. Peter, you love me more than these. I don't think he was asking an emotional question. It involved emotions, but it was much greater. Hey, Peter, how do you feel right now about me? Like, are you all pumped up with me and say, I just feel good? Nothing wrong with that. But true love goes much further than that. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm not musical myself, but I love it. And I'm kind of easy to reach musically with things of Jesus and to enter in and enjoy them emotionally. I can do that. I enjoy that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also know it doesn't last very long. What Jesus is talking about is something deeper than just a feeling here. Do you love me more than these? I think it involves a number of elements of love. I'll just mention two. One of them, Peter. You see, when we love someone, what we want is their best. When we love someone, we're looking what's best for them, what's good for them, what do they want? Hey, Peter, when you look around, where do you go to find direction? Where do you go to find purpose? Where do you go to find significance, Peter? You go to the things you love. Those are your measuring sticks where you find significance. And from the arguments the disciple would have over who was greatest, they were finding their significance by being greater than other people. And what Jesus was 
offering to Peter was, Peter, would you like freedom from those around you? Would you like freedom from having to compare yourself with them and having them define you? Would you like freedom? Peter, your love of me allows you to live in that freedom. Because as you love me, you'll believe me. And when I say, oh, Peter, Peter, you are my beloved son. Peter, you are my rock. Peter, this is what I want you to do. You'll believe me. You'll say, really? You? Yes. So, Peter, listen to me. And I think there was another component in Peter's mind. Peter, do you love me more than these, the other disciples, love me? Peter had boasted that, you know. They may leave you, not me. And now Jesus is inviting him to not think in terms of performance. I will perform even if they don't. I perform better than them, but to be free from all of that. And to just be loved by Jesus. Jesus loves me, you know. And Peter and Jesus received his answers. And I love Peter's final response. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know more than I do. I think Peter gave up. He gave up as a practice, him telling Jesus what should be. And he just said, I don't know what else to say. And of course, Jesus could say with confidence, Peter, I'm going to use you. Remember I told you that you were going to fall, but I was going to use that so you could strengthen the brothers? So Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. Peter, I'm giving you leadership. Peter, I want you to be not only a fisher of men to share the gospel. Peter, I want you to be a shepherd to nurture them. That's who I want, Peter. And the kind of people that can be that are not the dynamic, the pushers, those are nice skills, but the kind of people to truly be a shepherd of my people is a man who has failed deeply because he who is forgiven much can love much, and a man who loves Jesus. And when he says he loves Jesus, he's not pointing to his performance. He's not saying, I love Jesus, I do this and this. He's just saying, I think you love me, and you know I love you back. I want to say to all of you, the Scripture takes the truth about Jesus and the belief in the resurrection, the belief of who he is, and it it owns it. It owns it in Scripture. It says, would you like to be affirmed? Would you like to know for sure? Would you like to know the truth? Would you like to know this is really truth? You will find it in the Scripture. Go there. Understand the sweeping message, not just individual verses, but also for all of you, whether it were events of 20 or 30 years ago that were horrendous that you were involved in, or whether it was the multitude of relatively minor things in the last 24 hours. What Jesus is asking you is not, hey, do you think you can do better? Do you think? He's just saying, hey, Do you love me? And when you shake your head and you say, 
I do love you, then we know we say that because he loved us Think on these things. Look in scripture on these things. Understand your doubts and questions. Bring them before God. Bring them before the word. And in the midst of your worst day or your worst thought, in the midst of the worst, darkest moment of history, whether it was something you did or something that was done to you, Jesus' offer is for you to be loved by him and overflow that back. That is life on earth that is offered to us, to those who believe, which is why all of this was written, for you to have that life. Let's pray. Well, Father, we give you thanks. You spoke in eternity past, in, in the mysteries of what happened, that the Son would come and become a man, and, and he would live and he would die, and that death would make a difference for all eternity. And it has happened. If there are any here this morning who do not know you, who have great uncertainty about a relationship with you, may they not wait for a tomorrow that might not come. May they address that today, here. And maybe for those of us who are struggling with past issues of sin and distance, may our invitation be not to try harder, but may we respond to the invitation of our great shepherd, which is allow him to love us so that we can love him back. And may you have the glory in all of this, Jesus. Amen.